Some of you may be familiar with the Bible study that we have in the chapel here on Wednesday nights following dinner. We are reading Genesis together. And we are currently in the section of Genesis where the Lord comes to Abraham and Sarah over and over and over again four times in five chapters, I think it is. Promising a land, a nation, a great name, and a blessing. More than all of those, however, is the promise that God will never leave them nor any of their descendants. It's a promise that gets passed down from Abraham to Isaac and then from Isaac down to Jacob, who's the main character in the Old Testament lesson that Susan read for us just a moment ago. Jacob even received that promise himself directly. If you recall, years before we find him in this story, he was traveling on a journey by himself, and as night fell, he laid down to sleep. And there, as he slept, the Lord gave him a vision. He saw a ladder stretching from heaven to earth and angels climbing up and down. And then in that vision, a voice from the heavens spoke to him, promising the same things that had been promised to his father and to his grandfather before him, a land, a blessing, a great name, descendants like the sands of the seashore. And of course, the enduring presence of God in his life. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. As promises go, it's a pretty strong one. I will never leave you until I have accomplished what I have said. Coming from God, it's the kind of promise that makes you think that anything might be possible. Fast forward, however, from that night to this one. To the one that we just heard about in Genesis chapter 32. And part of me wonders if Jacob ever thought that something quite like this could actually be possible. Whereas on that first night, God presented Jacob with a vision of angels, a dream of blessed communion between heaven and earth. Here, God does something quite different. This, very clearly, is no dream. Jacob was left alone, we are told, in the classic understatement of the writer of Genesis. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Is this what Jacob signed up for? An ambush as he slept? A pile driver out of the darkness? A midnight DDT? A figure four at 5 a.m.? 
A super late suplex, I could do this all day. I watched a lot of wrestling when I was a young man. And yet, at the same time, Jacob is not the only one in this story who gets a surprise. As the night wears on, as they struggle there on the riverbank, the hunter suddenly realizes that he is the hunted. The stranger, the Lord, realizes that this guy Jacob has got a little bit more fight in him than he'd anticipated. He is matching him blow for blow, move for move, until suddenly the stranger sees in verse 25 that Jacob is not going to give up or give in. And so as the sun begins to rise and as a last-ditch effort at victory, the stranger wrenches his leg out of joint. And yet even then, in his suffering, Jacob refuses to tap out. Let go of me, the stranger says. Let go of me, for the day is breaking. And Jacob says, no. You are not going anywhere, not until I get my blessing. And so there in the half-light, the Lord blesses him. He changes his name from Jacob to Israel, meaning the one who wrestles with God. If you look, you can see a family resemblance in our Luke text this morning. Day and night, Jesus says, the poor widow in his parable hounded her town's judge. Rule in my case, she says, do what is right, vindicate me, give me what I want, she tells him, just like her great, great, great granddaddy Jacob said back there on the riverbank, or you will never get away from me. And by the end of the story, of course, she's gotten what she wants. And then the Lord wraps up his story with a question. When the Son of Man comes, he asks, will he find faith on earth? Most people will tell you that this little story is about prayer. Luke even indicates that in the introduction. Then Jesus told them a parable, he says, about their need to pray always and never lose heart. And yet I have to confess to you, the the more that I have looked at this passage, the less it strikes me as actually being about prayer. Or perhaps I should say it doesn't really strike me as being just about prayer if by prayer we mean what it is that we do when our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed. Instead, This story seems to be more about that question of faith that Jesus raises at the end about what it means to live a life of faith. 
part of which, of course, is what we do when our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And yet at the same time, the life of faith is about so much more than that. It's about how we believe, how we live, how we remain in communion with our God as we go about our days. And what's fascinating is that in both of the stories that we have before us this morning, each of which in its own way shows us what it means to be in a relationship with God. The life of faith isn't presented as something that is sweet and kind or meek and mild, but is instead tenacious, vigorous, aggressive, active instead of passive, dogged instead of patient, insistent. Do what is right. Vindicate me, the widow woman says to her judge. Bless me, Jacob hisses into the ear of the stranger, because otherwise you will never get away. Thus is the faithfulness of the life of faith. It is, above all else, the determination to be sure that the relationship between God and God's people lives, that it is actually alive, that it's dynamic, direct, that it is intimate, that it is well and truly faithful. And this determination, brothers and sisters, It goes both ways. There, by the banks of the Jabbok, when Jacob is ambushed by his Lord and spends the small hours of the night locked in combat, he limps away from the encounter, knowing that he has just seen the true face of God. And so he has. Because if it is anything, the broader story of Scripture is always and everywhere the story of our God relentlessly seeking us out, talking to us, engaging us, insisting that we listen, and if needs be, then shaking us out of our slumber until we do. Jacob here in Genesis Moses at the burning bush, the boy Samuel in the temple, David confronted by Nathan, Paul on the Damascus road. Over and over again, God comes to us and cries out, look at me, listen to me, talk to me, love me. Because I love you more than life itself, and I am not going to let you go come hell or high water, come cross, death, or tomb. And what I want more than anything is for y'all to love me back in the same way. And so I suppose that the question before us today is whether or not we do. Not whether or not we love the Lord, 
But whether or not we are willing to love the Lord in this way, with this kind of engagement, this kind of commitment, this kind of tenacity, this kind of openness and honesty, where we know that we can cry out like the widow in Jesus' parable, like Jacob by the Jabbok, like the psalmist in our call to worship, and like so many of God's other children in so many other places in Scripture, listen to me and answer me. Save me and bless me. I am yours and you are mine, so show me your mercy and give me your aid. Are we willing to be this confrontational? This combative, perhaps? Are we willing, in other words, to do like Jacob and become Israel? Those who wrestle with God. Too often, brothers and sisters, folks like us act like the highest purpose of church is politeness. To spend time with polite people or to become more and more polite ourselves. And to be sure, politeness is a good thing. And Lord only knows that Our world these days could use an extra helping of polite people. But perhaps, even if just for this morning, perhaps we should envision the church as first and foremost about being about something else. Something that to many of our neighbors and to many of us might look and feel impolite. Perhaps what this whole church thing is really about is being tenacious, insistent, dogged in our faith, relentlessly faithful and expecting relentless fidelity in return. Perhaps, perhaps it is about never letting go of our God even when the night is darkest and the struggle is real. Because God has already promised to never let go of us. To grapple with us through thick and through thin. And God only asks that we hold on just as tight in return. Thanks be to God. Amen.